This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. They can take my money. They can take my freedom. They even can take my life. Yet Paul believed that because God did not spare his own son, that no one could steal from him the eternal reward and all of the blessings of Christ that God would deliver to him when his life and his faith journey was over. He said, there's nothing that can stir me. Some people place their faith in money, but for those people, their hope is in worldly financial security. Some people place their faith in power. They're valuing the wrong things. The things in this world are broken, and any satisfaction they provide is temporal and incomplete. Only faith in Christ and the sure and certain hope of heaven will satisfy and carry you to eternity. Today, Pastor Josh will challenge you to trust, believe in, and put your faith in Christ because you hope for abundant life now and eternity in heaven. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as he continues his message, Faith Declares Jesus is Better. It's less difficult to put my reputation on the line or even my life at risk for the gospel if I truly have faith that my real life is the one I will spend in heaven in eternity with God. It's easier for me to give up my selfish pursuits and selfish ambitions for worldly things and my earthly identity for the sake of being obedient to the gospel if I truly have faith and assurance that one day I will look Jesus face to face and he will reward me for the things I did for him. I'm looking towards eternity. I'm banking on my heavenly bank account. And so faith is the action that demonstrates my trust in what I don't see. And this really challenges me because it makes me ask the question, the things you place your faith and trust in are a direct reflection of what you're really hoping for. If you place your faith in money... It's because your greatest hope is financial security. If you place your faith in the promise of your boss, it's because you're hoping that you will get a job promotion. If you place your faith in God, what are you hoping for? Think about that. What does it say when I place my faith in God? It means I'm hoping for something I can't see. Romans chapter 8 puts it like this, verse 24. We are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It is that hope in heaven where our faith is rooted. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. What else is it? It is the evidence of things unseen. And simply here, true or false, walking with God requires, it mostly deals with things you don't see, true or false. It's true. This is why Paul said clearly, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, yes, God tangibly gives us expressions of his blessings and his favor, and we see in our lives, he allows us to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, granted. But most of our life, is a pilgrimage to a place we can't see, to a God we can't see, 
living, trusting this unseen reality. So he says faith is the evidence of things unseen. In other words, it's the proof. This is, this is challenging. My life, the way I live, the decisions I make, the chart I course, the, cor- the course I chart, <laughs> it is all reflecting what I really think about God, and not only that, but it's proving to others the reality of God. It is the evidence. The proof is in the pudding. You might have heard it. I don't, still don't know exactly where that phrase comes from. <laughs> but the proof is, if I say I believe in unseen realities and a God who said I'll never leave you nor forsake you and a God who said I will provide for all your needs according to my riches and glory to a God who said I will fill you with the power of my spirit and make you my witnesses to a God who makes all of these very clear and direct and precious promises to us. If we say we believe, then the evidence of that statement is literally whether or not we act on those unseen realities. What do people see when they look at my life? Someone who states the fact that they believe in God or someone who looks so drastically different from them that they're doing things by faith in this lifetime that are things they would never even think of doing. Places they would never think of going, giving in ways they never would think of giving because their hope is here. Our hope is in heaven. So I look at my life And do do people see the evidence of the unseen God in me? And even more so, what am I saying to God if I don't live a life of faith? Well, what are you saying to, to grandpa if he says, everything I have is going to be yours? And you kind of laugh in his face and you don't really consider it. You're saying, I don't really trust you. What does it say to God when he says go and we say no? When he says preach and we say I'm scared? When he says give and we say that's mine? What does it say to God? What it says is, God, I don't really believe you. I know what you said, but I'm not sure that I really believe you. And faith is a growing and utterly dependent dependency on the unseen God. And here's how we know. Number two, verse three tells us that faith not only proves the unseen, but faith believes in the power of God's word. Faith believes in the power of God's word. Verse three tells us, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Here the author unpacks the idea of the evidence of things unseen by pointing to the physical universe. When you guys look at the universe, you see the stars, you touch a tree, you feel the grass, anything that you see that that is tangible, all came from things that are not tangible and not visible. Now, this is a very profound statement. Uh, During that time, one scholar teaches us that the scientific thought of the day about the physical universe was that the physical universe was created with pre-existing matter 
a pre-existing substance, that the universe was eternal within itself, without beginning and without end. And Paul basically says, I don't care what the science of my day tells me. By faith, I believe that God formed the worlds and the universe and everything that is seen from the unseen. He called something from nothing. Which, by the way, I think that's still a pretty good standard for us to measure ourselves today by. Science is always evolving, always changing, always discovering. And there are those who are convinced that the more we learn about science, the further we will get away from our need in this archaic God. But my, I'm convinced that anyone who's honest, the more they learn, the more science discovers and tells them, the more they will re- recognize the intense genius of the creator and his existence in reality. That the things that he said, we're just now starting to discover. And as we look deeper and deeper, you know, past the molecule to the atom, past the protons and neutrons and electrons into the nuclei of a proton, and we see a quark, whatever that is, and we figure out what all the, the base particles are and how they operate, and we still can't figure out atomically how everything is held together and doesn't just burst apart at the seams. I, I, I mean, at, at some point, you've got to come to the conclusion that the Bible's right when Hebrews chapter 1 says, and he holds all things together by the word of his power. All things. Colossians 1 says that all things were made by him and through him, and without him, nothing that exists does exist. And he holds all things together. All he has to do is say the word, the atomic structure of every physical thing, just all, all of a sudden, well, the Bible says it's going to burn away with a fervent heat. The new scientific atheism of today has spent a lot of time, energy, and effort to try to say we don't need God to explain the universe anymore. In his book, The Grand Design, now deceased physicist Stephen Hawking, I've never seen someone who has such a vendetta against someone they don't believe in, personally, <laughs> but he, uh, he really had a chip on his shoulder about God. He tries to build an argument that God was maybe once needed when we didn't understand science, but now that we understand, we don't need God to explain the origins of the universe. And Hawking's, listen, his conclusion on how the universe came to being, and I quote, because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself out of nothing. For someone who doesn't claim to have faith or be philosophical, that is a very faith-filled philosophical statement. (laughs) So the universe creates itself out of nothing. But really, it's not nothing because apparently there's this eternal law of gravity that's needed for the universe to create itself out of nothing. So that's something. And the universe will create itself? This has rightfully been called the bootstrap theory, likened to someone lifting themselves up in the air by grabbing their own bootstraps and pulling themselves up. So let me get this right then. There's no credible way that there can be an eternal, self-existent God outside of time and space who has a mind and creative ability that formed and shaped and creatively designed and fine-tuned the universe, but we can believe in the eternal law of gravity that can cause the universe to create itself out of nothing, which is really something, but that something really has no origin. Here's what I think it comes down to. People would much rather be accountable to the law of gravity than they would to the living God, who will judge them rightfully and righteously as those who are created in his image. I love what C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest philosophical minds of, of our times, wrote. He said, really, a young atheist cannot guard his faith too carefully, 
dangers lie in wait for him on every side. There's a lot of truth in that statement. And so we believe that the word of God, that is, when God speaks, it is pure authority. It's not suggestion. That when he says, let there be light, the nothingness obeys his command and is created. And we believe that. If you believe that, raise your hand. Okay? If you believe that, he has proven himself true throughout his created realm, then, the, then here's a question. If I believe the word of God is authoritative and strong and powerful enough to create those stars that I look up to and awe and stand in awe of in this whole universe that we're just trying to barely scratch the surface of, then how come I can look in a mirror and doubt all of God's promises that he's made to me? Oh God, you're powerful enough to create light, but I don't know if you're going to provide for this need. God, you're powerful to create light, but I don't, I don't know if you're going to protect us from this. I don't know if you're going to get me through. I don't know if you're really going to forgive me. That doubt has to be erased out of our minds. Listen, if you are walking in obedience to God, the very power that formed the universe, the very word that rose Jesus from the dead is the same word that he gives to you and to me into our lives today. Once a famous missionary to China, you know Hudson Taylor, he wrote a letter to one of his supporters and he boasted of his abundance. He wrote this, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. That's wealth. That's faith. Number three, faith believes in the power of God's word. Number three, faith sacrifices temporal things for eternal things. Faith sacrifices temporal things for eternal things. Here he takes us back to the two first children. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. So as we look at our first human example of faith, the author goes all the way back to a tale of two sacrifices from Genesis chapter 4. Let me read you that account. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock at their, and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? Here's the key. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. God's word to Cain indicates that Cain knew from the beginning that he was not bringing a sacrifice that was worthy of God. Because God told him, if you did well, wouldn't it go well? So there was something about Cain that said, I want to come to God on my terms. I don't want to approach God on his terms, where Abel brought his 
firstborn lamb, his most valued and precious sacrifice, because he recognized God is worthy of me approaching him his way, as he demands. Cain, on the other hand, was looking, basically we'd say that his was a sacrifice of human effort, where Abel's was a sacrifice of faith. It's kind of interesting to me here that, that Abel, the first example of faith, he makes a sacrifice trusting God, right? He's, he's bringing God something valuable to him, and he's trusting that God's going to receive it. He's living by faith. What does, what does Abel get for his faith? Murdered by his brother. Isn't that a great sell, selling point of faith? You guys, obey God. Do things his way. Give him your best, and you might get murdered, You might die. You might, let me put it like this. Listen carefully. You might do the right things for the right reasons in a way that pleases God, and the result might not be everything that you hoped it would be. I know that's hard to hear. I know it's contrary to God loves you and has a plan for your life. Just do things his way. It'll be a bed of roses. Sometimes you'll fall in the thorns. Why would I want to do that? Because, this is, this is the whole point, because you're not living for here. You're living for the unseen. You're living in the unseen. You're living with the promises of the unseen. And, and, If you don't hear anything else today, I'd like you to hear this because this, I believe, personally is instrumental to your walk with God, how you define faith. Because if you see faith as, if I just believe hard enough, God will give me what I want, you will have one of two things happen. You'll either blame God when things don't go well, or you'll blame yourself that you don't have enough faith. And neither one of those is the case. Perhaps God is allowing you in your faith to experience the pain that's in this world and the trials that are in this world and the tribulation that comes with being associated with him and following him and obeying him. Perhaps God is allowing you to do that because what's really best for you and what's really best for me is that we start to lose our attachment to the things that don't last. And he's teaching us how to be and live a life of utter and complete dependency on his provision, on his goodness, on his promises in faith. And, and I will tell you by experience, I don't, please don't hear me wrong. I'm not boasting I'm nobody. I look at people who are living by faith in this world and I'm ashamed. But there have been a few times where I've said goodbye to some things that I really held dear in this life to try to be obedient to God. And I can attest that through the difficulty and through the sanctification and through the process of of hurt and questions that come with with things not kind of going the way you envision them to go, that through it all, what happens is there is a death in the flesh and there is a life that comes in the spirit that teaches you that Jesus meant it when he said, he who seeks to find his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is what... And I'm not here to be critical, I'm not here to be, but, but when, when people skew the idea of faith to their favor, and it becomes more about me getting from God rather than me giving to God, 
It really misrepresents God. It misrepresents faith. And it doesn't truly prepare people to give themselves wholly and fully to the mission of Christ. Because this is why faith matters, is so that you can live this life here and now all out for Jesus until the day you see him face to face. Paul, a man who certainly clearly lived by faith, and at Romans chapter 8 says something interesting. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I look at that promise and I'm thinking, man, this is, this is amazing. If God didn't even spare his own son, how much does he want to give us? Paul says he wants to give us everything, everything in Christ. And he says, who can, if God is for us in such a magnificent way, who can be against us? And I'm thinking, Paul, are you crazy? Have you looked at your life lately? Who can be against you? How about everybody? How about assassins that want to kill you so you got to get lowered down in a basket over a wall? How about people who take you outside their city and stone you thinking you're dead and leaving you out there for his dead? How about people who arrest you, being shipwrecked and imprisoned and hated by the Jews and hated by the Greeks and hated by people who don't want to obey God? What do you mean, if God is for us, who can be against us? What are you talking about? He's saying, and I won't do it in the Braveheart version, okay? They can take my money. They can take my freedom. They even can take my life. Yet Paul believed that because God did not spare his own son, that no one could steal from him the eternal reward and all of the blessings of Christ that God would deliver to him when his life and his faith journey was over. He said, there's nothing that can stir me. This is why he said, neither do I count my life as dear to myself. None of these things move me that I may finish my race with joy. By default, human beings tend to be more like Cain in determining whether or not we're going to be obedient to the Lord. We often first look at the temporal cost and then determine the extent of our sacrifice. In other words, we tend to think that God would never call us to do something that would cause us to lose something valuable to us, but rather we should be like Abel. We should determine our obedience not on what, how it will affect us, but by the reward it will produce eternally. We're told there that Abel is the first one who lives beyond the grave. He says, and he and his voice still speaks to us today. I don't think that's a metaphor. I think that Abel received the better end of the deal. He lived by faith. He died in faith And now he speaks to us from the other side, the great cloud of witnesses in in Hebrews 12, telling us, don't give up. Persevere. Please, God, don't look and say, God, I'll obey you if it only costs me up to that amount. But say, God, I will give you my all and my best because that is a life of faith. This has been another edition of The Ascending Life a ministry of Grace Calvary Church with Pastor Josh Blevins. Thanks for tuning in as we study the book of Hebrews together. If this teaching blessed you in any way, 
We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 816-279-2090 and let us know more about you and what we can join you in prayer for. That number again is 816-279-2090. Or you can connect with us at theascendinglife.com. We're so glad you've been listening today to The Ascending Life, but we want to make sure this isn't your only source of spiritual nourishment. The Bible urges all of us to get involved in a local church, not just for the benefit of the body of Christ, but also for your growth on your own faith journey. If you live in or are visiting the St. Joseph area, we'd like to personally invite you to join us at Grace Calvary Church. We meet each Sunday at 8 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can expect a time of fellowship, including worship and Bible study. For directions and more about Grace Calvary Church, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. Again, the website is theascendinglife.com. We hope to see you there. Our time with you today is coming to an end, but we're so glad you tuned in to today's message from Hebrews. Be sure to join Pastor Josh next time to learn more from God's Word, right here on The Ascending Life. Sin